Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello everyone. I hope you're having a stellar start to your Monday. I hope that your energy is feeling good and you're starting to get in the spirit of the holidays, whichever holidays you may celebrate. Um, so let's get into a few announcements. Uh, as I stated last week, we are having a workshop coming up December 5th at 10 a.m. Uh, if you are a $10 member on our Patreon platform, we're going to be talking about how spirit speaks to you. Um, being able to discern whether or not it's you talking or it is spirit speaking. And then after that, at 1 p.m. CST, we're going to be doing our mystery school, working on psychism um, and kind of working with each other on um, like how spirit speaks to us for other people. So we're going to be trying out a lot of cool exercises um, that will uh, open up our abilities in mediumship and psychism. So, uh, the workshop at 10 a.m. CST, $10 member. And then the mystery school is at one CST at $25 member. And if you're a 25 member, uh, you can obviously do both. So, uh, if you'd like to become a Patreon member, go to patreon.com slash the lovely Aaliyah, uh, to be a part of our little community. Uh, next we have, uh, something coming up that I'm really excited about. And those of you who have taken my manifest them course, uh, with Sharon Eskandani, uh, me and her are cooking up something really cool, uh, for next month. And so just keep your eyes peeled for that. We have a really cool workshop, uh, that we'll announce next week. And, uh, I think you guys will really, really like it. So that's super cool. Uh, and then I have some meditations coming up. So those of you who have asked for meditations, some of you have asked for ASMR and I'm not sure I know how to do that, but, <laughs> um, we have, I've paired up with Josh Solar to, uh, make some really interesting music meditation combo, uh, for those of you to allow yourselves to fall asleep to my voice. <laughs> Um, all right, that's what you guys asked for. So I'm just trying to listen. And, uh, we tried to do it last year. It just wasn't in the mindset to actually do it and channel what I think is needed, but this is going to be a really cool set. It's going to be eight tracks and it's going to go through the chakras and then have like kind of a finale deal, uh, something for you to listen to, to just kind of clean up your energy or find a way to recenter yourself. So that's why we call it a tune up. So <laughs> I thought that was clever. So anyway, so 
Now we'll get into our episode for today. And um, I just want you to be aware that there may be a lot of areas of trigger here, um, no matter where you come from. So uh, I would like to extend a little bit of an intention for you to be open to uh, what our guest is saying today. And if you find that this is a very difficult topic, then there is definitely some healing that needs to happen there from either side. And there is really no sides when we really think about um, ourselves as a human race, but we do have a racial problem, racism problem in this country. And those of you who are following the news even right now, the, um, I won't say his name, but there's a kid who, um, you know, shot two protesters last year with a AR type of gun and, um, you know, just got off basically. No, you know, acquitted completely when we very well know that, um, a lot of our black and brown brothers and sisters go to jail for, for much, much less, much, much less. And so this is very much an example of how supremacy works in our country And while I know this is a topic for me that is exhausting to talk about, and I know probably some of you listening, it is important if we are going to sit and talk to ourselves about how we're healers and how we're awakened and how we have um, these abilities to, to heal the world. And if we can't get this right, you know, how awake are we? how woke are we, you know, um, how great of healers are we, if this is something that we are unwilling to confront and unwilling to deal with and, you know, simply bypassing that there are lots of people who are not having the same experience in this country. So anyway, it's, it's a challenging topic, I know. And, uh, Milagros Phillips is wonderful and she's funny and, Um, the way in which she presents it with an energy that even put me at ease because to be honest, I'm really always nervous about talking about these kinds of things. So, uh, I hope that you will listen and hear the grace in which she speaks and that you make it your intention to really open up to what she has to say today. So with that, let's get into the episode. Milagros Phillips is a keynote speaker, TEDx presenter, four-time author and certified coach. She designs strategic learning programs for organizations seeking to enhance their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives through race literacy. Her programs use history, science, research, and storytelling to create compelling, life-transforming experiences. For more than 35 years, Milagros has consulted, designed, and facilitated programs across many industries. She is an artist, a Reiki master, and a teacher, a sound therapist, a teacher in Course of Miracles, and the creator of Race Demystified, a compassionate approach to healing from racial conditioning. She just released her latest book, Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. So please welcome Milagros to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and today we have Milagros Phillips uh, to talk to us about some really amazing and and deep concepts that I'm actually, I told her before we got started on the interview, I'm nervous about. 
And it's very rare that you get me nervous, but today we are talking about race in a very different way than it's normally talked about. So say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me, Aaliyah. This of course. This really fun. This, this should be good. Thank you so much. Um, when we talk about race, race is just, I mean, especially in the last like year and a half, two years or so, there's a lot of people just kind of catching up to the party or waking up, as you said. Um, and so uh, giving my audience, I want to do the right by right by my people and what it is that we're how kind of going through uh, to give people a deeper insight and what it means to heal racism from the inside out and how racism affects us as a body, how racism affects us as a people. Um, you know, where is racism, uh, where's, does the responsibility held, uh, and all of our traumas that we all experience as a people. Um, and I'm so, so excited to get into that, but before we do, um, I'm sure our listeners would really like to know, you know, where do you come from and where did you get this big passion for this type of work? Huh? Yeah. Well, it was kind of given to me. <laughs> I didn't go get it. You know, it was one of those things, um, Really, I, I, I tell people that, um, you know, healing racism is my, is really my purpose on the planet. That's, that's my work, but my passion is transformation. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I combine the two to create a tapestry that is, is different, is compassionate and yet full of passion. Um, something that has helped a lot of people go through a process that, where they just never see race the same way again. So um, I actually got my calling the day that Dr. King died. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, you know, there was no way in the world I was ever going to talk about race. Like, there's just like, that's just not going to happen. Um, but, you know, they call it a calling because it keeps calling you back until you finally say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And at some point I, um, I was able to, you know, I, I had done enough personal healing work and personal growth work that I could actually take on the charge of doing this work. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it, this isn't something that because people go, where did you go to school? What did you learn? I, I went to art school. I'm an artist. I mm -hmm. paint, I sing, uh, you know what I mean? Like I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but this is something that clearly I was wired to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and because I entered it through the stages of healing and transformation. My view on it is very different from, mm. you know, from the collective. Mm -hmm. so, so, so where are you from? Originally I was born and pretty much raised by, by race. I mean, I spent, you know, our formative years are between zero and 10. Right. Mm -hmm. So I spent um, the first 10 years of my life in the Dominican Republic, which is, the, the place where the Middle Passage actually began. They, the um, Spanish were enslaving Africans in Quisqueya, which is the original name of, of La Española, um, which is now the Dominican Republic. They were enslaving Africans there to work in the sugarcane plantations as early as 1509. Mm -hmm. So that's more than a hundred years before they started to, um, before the Mayflower landed in this country, before the, you know, like any of, before the, the enslaved Africans were brought to the continental USA. And so there, you know, the, the whole thing took on a curve, a, a learning curve that now had a hundred years experience and a hundred years, you know, so it was an interesting upbringing for me. Like for instance, there was a huge avocado tree in our backyard, which I love that avocado tree, still love the <laughs> avocado trees. And I spent a lot of time 
underneath that tree when I was a child. And my mother's best friend lived in, you know, our, our yards abutted each other. So my, she lived on the other side of the block, but there, you know, our yards were, were connected. Mm. And so many times my mother would go visit her friend at night and she would bring me. And I remember being a little girl and closing my eyes and grabbing my mother really close to go across that yard because it was rumored that they had hung slaves on that particular mm. tree. Yeah, you know, so as early as as that, you know, I had an awareness of, of slavery. And because I kind of came in wired to do this work, like who knew, right? I thought I was gonna be an artist, right? I had a plan. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, but but when I started to really look back on my life, I realized how much of my life had been colored mm-hmm. by that history mm-hmm. without being aware of it, without being conscious of it. It was just sort of there, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So there's something that's, I I find uh, really transformative that you talk about where you say that um, race is not real, but racism is. And we talk about race is not a biology um, because genetically we're all related. And I like how you said cousin, Hey cousin, Um, (laughs) we're here. Um, And so when we think about race in terms of the, the, the ideas of supremacy and the way that we um, interact with it. Uh, a lot of times uh, when we were I'm talking with some friends or whatever, especially last year when all everything, they were coming to the party, if you will. Yeah. Um, I was like, it's not my job to tell you about this or give you a reading list or um, do all this work, you know, because I've this, I've lived this for a very long time. And then having my experiences then be told, is that how it is? Or are you being biased? Or are you being that or whatever? And being gaslit out of that. And I was like, you know what? Racism is not a black people's problem. It's a, you said it so beautifully in one of the interviews I listened to it's, it's a problem for black people, but it's not our problem. Exactly. Uh, can you speak to your philosophy on that and how, um, you know, essentially the origin of supremacy came out of the caste system that white people were doing to each other? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a longstanding history um, around uh, violence, uh, particularly in Europe and, um, and enslavement. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, they think they just sort of came to this country, but it's like, no, people were were escaping what was happening in Europe. It was mm-hmm. really pretty horrific. Um, you know, there was no sanitation, so there were a lot of diseases. You only had three months to grow your food, so people were malnutrition. A lot of people were starving. There was a lot of poverty. Um, there were there were two systems. There were the wealthy um, and those who were who were part of the monarchy and who who could inherit. And then there were the poor people who were enslaved and slavery is a perpetual thing. Um, They were the indentured, which you could buy yourself out of indentured slavery. And they were the poor. Um, So so you, and there was absolutely no religious freedom, none, (laughs) you know, Um, especially uh, in in the 1400s and going into the 1500s, because as we look at that, that's when we had what people call the Spanish Inquisition, but really it was happening all over the world. And what allowed for the Spanish Inquisition was something called the doctrine of discovery, which basically said that if you were not Catholic, you were not human. And if you are not human, you have no human rights. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that it's important for white people to own that history to own the violence around that history, because that's the trauma that they exported all over the world. Mm. That is the trauma that then caused this whole thing 
um, to happen the way that it did, because slavery has always existed, has always existed. Um, and there was slavery all over the world. But what the Europeans did was something, they, they turned into something called chattel slavery, which is like, you know, basically you're, you're, you're less than an object. You know, mm -hmm. you're just a piece of whatever, right? And that came out of the way that they treated each other mm -hmm. and the things that they were doing to their citizens, which is why people got on that ship they call the Mayflower. You know, I, I, there's this romanticizing of history mm -hmm. that doesn't allow for people's growth because people need the truth in order to heal and in order to grow, right? Mm -hmm. But when you romanticize stuff, what happens is that people miss out on the reality and then they create this, this false persona out of that history, right? right? And so they've romanticized this, this whole Mayflower thing. But the truth is that people were like literally dying to get out of Europe. Because it was such a horrific place. I mean, you know, you you stole a piece of bread, they chop your hand off. What did they used to do the, to the enslaved people? They chop their hands off, you run off, they chop your foot off. I mean, they did everything that they were doing to each other. They ended up doing to black and brown people as they colonized these, these places. Hmm. But, you know, so so you so you have this this history and then there's the, the changing of the narrative, right? Like. I remember when I was a little girl in the Dominican Republic and I was in fourth grade and I was learning about slavery. And what they said to us in the class was that, you know, the Africans were savages and that they had to be, um, you know, that they were taken out of Africa to save their lives and that they had to be, um, they, they literally had to be civilized. Civilized, yeah. You know, and, and so that's what I learned as a child. Now I'm sitting in that classroom and I'm the only dark skinned child because I was in private school in, in that classroom learning that. And so what I'm learning is that I'm less than, mm -hmm. but what those other children are picking up on is that they're superior too, mm -hmm. that they're better than because of what they're learning and, and how they're learning. And look at all the great things we did for these black people, right? right. And so, so there's been this romanticizing of the story and hundreds of years later, you have white people who have owned that story and live and act out of that story. Their actions, reactions, and interactions with the rest of the world are based on that story. But that story is a myth because it doesn't give people the truth about why they came to this country. See, and I, I, I was just speaking to someone um, the other day and I was talking about why people migrate. Hmm. When people are born somewhere, they, they, they love visiting other places and learning, some people do anyway, right? And learning from other places and other people, but they wanna go home when they're mm -hmm. done. They wanna go, like you think about it when, you know, you go visit family members and it's like, okay, I'm done. I wanna <laughs> go home now, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's natural to human beings, right? When human beings leave their land never to return again it's because something's wrong. And there are specific reasons why people migrate. People migrate because of natural disasters, wars, food insecurity, famine. You know, like th those are the reasons people have been doing it for eons, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is that when, when you romanticize the history and you don't tell people the truth about why they came to be in this part of the world, beyond the people who were kidnapped and brought, which is human trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond the human trafficked people that were brought to this part of the world for, for free labor, okay? Yeah. You have the people that came because where they were was horrific. 
and they were continually traumatized. And one of the few truths that we tell in school is that people came here for religious freedom. Mm. That is very true, mm-hmm. but they don't give you the rest of the story, which is that in Europe, the Vatican had decided that everybody needs to be Catholic, not Christian. They've extended the meaning to Christian. It was not, if you were Baptist or something else, your life was still in danger. Hmm. They could stone you, burn you, kill you, you know, accuse you of being a witch or a wizard. And uh, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you were not safe. You were not safe. So you couldn't practice your religion. You, um, you were, as I said, malnutrition or starving, which you can't even think straight if you're malnutrition. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's, so there's all of this stuff. Right. And, and so when you romanticize that story and you don't tell that backstory, right. What happens is people create this false persona. So now you have this idea of those people who have brown skin and their hair texture is different from ours. Those people are different. They're not really human. And so when you're not really human, you don't have, you don't have the right to basic human rights, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, so it's okay for us to colonize them, to take their property from them, to take their land, to take all the natural resources of their land and to enslave them to do the labor that we don't want to do. That's the backstory, right? But right. the story is we're superior, we're better. And, you know, and then of course they had, uh, you know, the scientific community has a lot to atone for <laughs> around this thing, you know? Um, and, and so of course you have this whole idea of, you know, Darwinism and and survival of the fittest. What no one ever said was, it's not survival of the fittest, survival of the most violent. Mm. Okay. So Mm. when we start to peel it back and call it for what it is, it looks like something completely different. Hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will have some interesting reactions in their bodies to that uh, because the idea of the most violent um, you know, survival of the one who is, is the most aggressive essentially is the one that wins the, the bread at the end of the day. Um, and then this idea of supremacy where, you know, like we, this is a spiritual show, but the human experience is a very spiritual one. Yeah. And we talk about the ideas of like empathy and connection and we're all one and all that kind of stuff, but we have so much separation still within people and people groups, and then even appropriation within those groups, within, you know, all the spiritual things that people pick up and they're like, Oh, we like this now. And this is what something we do, whatever. But there's, there's a still a lack of unity mm-hmm. and we are still trying to figure out as a people, how do we, how do we, how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. And so um, you talked about essentially looking at the ways in which, first of all, I loved your, uh, your breakdown of supremacy and where that came from. Can you touch on that real quick? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people love banding words around, you know, like it used to be, um, what, what, did, what did they used to call it? Um, before diversity, it was, um, it was something, a sensitivity training. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it became diversity. Then it was diversity and inclusion. Then diversity, inclusion, and equity. Now it's diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility. We just keep adding words to stuff and parroting things when we don't understand them, right? right? And so when we're, when we're looking at 
the word supremacy. Supremacy is it comes from the word superior, and it's actually it, it, it's lineage is a French word. The the thing about that is that that comes from the right of kings, right? The papacy and the monarchy were always at odds with each other as to who had the God given right to rule, and who was superior in their ways in order to be able to have this God-given right to rule, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's actually where supremacy comes from, is who is superior to whom? Like the monarchy, um, you know, was, was deemed superior than the people they ruled over. The church was supposed to be superior to the monarchy because it was, you know, it was God's, God's essence on earth, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, and, and of course, you know, in, in England, that was the whole big thing with um, with King Henry VIII and his separation from the church, which, mm -hmm. you know, they, so who has the right to rule? Who rules the church, right? Like even mm -hmm. to today, Queen Elizabeth rules the church. Right. You know, yeah. and so, so that's where that came from. It's like, who had the right to rule over whom now? When you look at it from the perspective of race, what we inherited through the caste system, through the doctrine of discovery, through all of these various laws and things like that was who had the right to rule over whom. And so when we look at it and we break it down, the way that it was set up was that European descendants had the right to rule over all brown, and black people. Mm -hmm. and, and that was by law. Yeah. And what's interesting, the reason I asked you to clarify that is because what inside of us needs so deeply to heal in order to get past the idea that we need to rule over another person, because even in spaces where I see people are, are, are branding themselves as allies or unification or, you know, the whole bit, you can still see anger you can still see trauma. You can still see areas where they haven't healed their own racial trauma as well, um, which is a very real thing that I love that you touched on that what was happening over there was so bad that they're carrying in their, even in their genetics on down, that there's this reason why this, this violence arises and that there's this rage there. Um, and we see it today. We see it in our country very palpably um, that there is something kind of maybe ingrained in us even in, in, or in them and whatever, however you want to phrase that, um, uh, that's still feeling this fear and need to I, I'm, I'm better or I'm superior in one way or another. Can you can you touch on that and how 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 do we get in tune or in touch with what that thing is and how do we heal it? Yeah, so it's very interesting. The Course in Miracles is wonderful because it talks about specialness mm -hmm. and uh, the importance, the importance to, of, of understanding that none of us is special, but we're all unique, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, so this whole idea of, of being special and being better than and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that's sort of, um, you know, part of the human experience, you know, as children, you know, we want to be better than the sister or the brother or the, you know, and so there's this kind of this competition that happens for, you know, um, mommy and daddy's, um, you know, the recognition of you, right? And that kind of never goes away, right? So <laughs> it takes on a different form. So now you want to be recognized by your boss or your company or your, you know, peers or whatever, right? But it never completely goes away. So it's kind of natural. But when you, when you take that to the level of, 
um, using it to exploit other people and to uh, and to manipulate other people and to put other people down and to do those kinds of things. That's when we start to see the disease showing up. That's when we start to see the trauma showing up. That's when we start to see all these, these you know, the ugly side of the self, the, the part of the self that we never talk about and that we don't want to, you know, sort of recognize even. even. So, um, and in order to, uh, to, to heal that from the perspective of race, people need to become race literate. They need to understand what it is that they're really dealing with because, you know, what when I talked about this sort of natural thing that we do, the competition thing with one another and, and things like that, when we're talking about that, we're talking about something that that's sort of natural to people. Racism is not a natural thing for people. People were institutionalized into racism. OK, and um, and so race, racism is actually institutional, systemic, internalized and interpersonal. Hmm. And we keep trying to solve it from the interpersonal perspective, you know, who says what to whom and, you know, the micro macroaggressions and things like that, which is important for us to do. But ultimately, what we need to do is to really look at the laws that allow racism to continue and what needs to happen and how do we change that and how do we resend some of those laws and things like that. You know, because it is institutional, systemic, internalized and interpersonal. And the reason we internalize it, and by the time children are three years old, three years old, one, two, three years old, they have been racialized. And they can tell you a part of the caste system they belong to, who's the good person, who's the bad person, who's the pretty one, who's the ugly one, and so on and so forth, because they have been institutionalized into the, you know, the system that already exists around them. They're sort of swimming in it, don't even realize it, right? Mm -hmm. And so parents need to become race literate uh, so that they can understand what's happening within their children, especially once they start to go to school and they have access to other children and so on and so forth. So, you know, if people are gonna heal, they need to become race literate, which means that you need to have an understanding of the history of race, how that history impacts us today and looking at what are the things that we need to do to transform it so that we can leave behind a better world for the next generation. Hmm. Like what will you do today to change our collective tomorrow? Because today we are creating tomorrow. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we need to be conscious about how we're creating that tomorrow. And are we gonna continue to repeat the past, which is what people do when they don't know their history. Mm -hmm. Again, not good or bad, right or wrong. It is what it is, right? Um, or are we going to give people the opportunity to become race literate so that they can make different choices in their lives? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it's an important point because we often talk about healing and people think, okay, well then I'll, I'll do whatever, what do I need to do to heal? But it's like, you have to still go backwards. Mm -hmm. There is no fast forward here. Um, and I think that that's the more uncomfortable part yeah. is having to go backwards and really look at what our history says, um, not from just one painted perspective, mm -hmm. um, but from a very expansive perspective, a very diverse perspective. Because like you said, we learned our history in the systemic system. Yeah. So like, for instance, I had not heard of Black Wall Street mm. until I was full on adult, maybe two, three years ago. And, and I'm going, how have I not heard about this? It happened very close to where my grandfather uh, was born. And I'm like, this, this is absolute insanity. Why have I not learned about this in school? Well, because my school is a part of the system that doesn't allow me to hear in this, this way, whatever. So it, it keeps us from really acknowledging the, 
the deeper pain of our, our past yeah. um, on every side. Which you can't heal without, because that's why, and I always tell people this is like, you know, when you go to the doctor because something hurts, they ask for your history. They need yeah. to know your genetics to understand yeah. it, right? And I, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean about Wall Street. I've been um, teaching about Wall Street for 21 years now in my seminars. I have a seminar that 20, 20 years. I have a seminar that's 20 years old this year. I started teaching in, in 2001 and someone brought in that at that point um, in 2000, the, 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 the film, the reenactment, the documentary was on television on the History Channel. Hmm. And he brought in a video for me to watch and I was riveted and it just like, whoa, it just transformed. So I, I made it part of the seminar mm-hmm. to help people understand that we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And that there's a lot of history that's been hidden from us. And it's very difficult to heal without having that awareness of, right. of that history. And, you know, it's interesting because for me, when I saw what happened in January, on January 6th, what came to me was, wow, looks just like the burning of Tulsa mm-hmm. without the fire, mm-hmm. where people uh, you know, could go in and they could break and they could loot and they could do whatever in, in the nation's capital and walk away and go home. Yeah. Get, walk away, go through TSA, get on a plane and go yeah. back home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is like, oh. And that's exactly what happened. That's why, even though you, your grandfather lived close to there, you had never heard of it because what happened was they did what they did. They destroyed the town and then they just kind of walked away, went back home like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you guys don't know what Black Wall Street is, please just Google it. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about what it is. It is it is incredibly tragic and, and a huge, massive uh, insight to uh, part of our history. Um, so yeah, so that's something that was really important, not being able to know that history, even as a, as a black person, you know, not having access to that and knowing that um, and feeling like, you know, it's kind of like just tucked underneath here. We're not going to talk about that. So how can we heal? Um, so let's talk about white people um, because <laughs> I do have a lot of white listeners. Hi guys. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, and we want to talk about what's interesting is you said that there is, there is oppression behind privilege. And I've never heard anybody talk about this, but the way that you put it was so, so beautiful because when we talk about oppression, there are some people who come out and they're like, I have to wear a mask and that's oppression. I'm like, that's not oppression. Sorry. You have to wear pants and shoes too. So like <laughs> you have to wear a bra, whatever, that's not a big deal. Sorry if I'm upsetting some of you guys, but that's just, to me, that's just the truth. I had someone come to me and and go off on me essentially when we were discussing matters of race and we were talking about the politics at the time and um and uh, their account kept getting deleted from Instagram and they were saying I'm being silenced I'm being this I'm being that and I and and I said you know in brief I said you know well Instagram is a is a platform that's free for people to use with their policies like that's their platform if you want to do whatever you want to do you got to set up your own thing and um and he threw out the word that I'm being oppressed. And I was like, well, not really <laughs> because it's their platform. So they kind of get to say what it is, you know, they can do or not. Um, and then pointed to me and said, well, you know, you're getting elevated during this time because you're a minority. So you are not oppressed. And I was like, hold up. Now we, we have to rewind here. Um, it is there. It is the, the feeling of just getting to the party and just 
starting to experience some of these little snippets of what black and brown people have experienced in this country for for as long as we've been here and so um you know what does it mean to be white and to be oppressed behind privilege yeah so it's it's very interesting because um you know and, and people have to and, and i recommend as people hear this to just breathe don't fight it don't argue with it, just breathe. You can argue with it later once you understand it, okay? But don't just jump into defense because you're not gonna grasp it. So what happens is systems that traumatize people, traumatize to destabilize, to control. Because when people are destabilized, it's easy to control them, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 and this goes way back, you figure you got a, a monarchy with like 50, 60, family members and then you they have to rule over thousands and thousands of people so the quickest fastest way was violence which causes trauma which destabilizes people and then you can control them right so what we're talking about when we we talk about uh what's happened to our white brothers and sisters around this thing that we call race is that because they have been given a little bit more than, than, and in some cases, a lot more than has ever been given to black and brown people who were being used to, to do the labor, right? Hmm. What has happened is that they, they have this expectation of life being a specific way for them. Moreover, they have been sold the idea that life is like that for everybody, hmm, Yeah, you know? And so they don't really, they have a hard time understanding that it really is not, that it never has been. And if we don't do anything, it never will be the same, right? It's, yeah. it, it, that's just a reality. And so human beings by their nature, by their nature, we're wired for bliss, for connection and for love. It has nothing to do with people's skin color. That's just our natural wiring. Right. Okay? So in order for people to live outside of their nature, their true nature, and watch other human beings be used, abused, and, and, and violence perpetrated on them, in order for, for them to allow that to happen to other human beings, you have to disconnect and you have to go into denial. Mm -hmm. Because by your true nature, you would not be able to allow that. Mm. Okay, so you have to disconnect from yourself and go into denial. That's where we talk about race as a myth, right? That myth works because what that myth is is about how these people are less than, mm -hmm. right? And so you buy into that, and and of course, of course, they can be, you know, you can violate them, you can do whatever because they're not really human, mm -hmm. right? And so the white community has been paid to be silent in order for this free labor, and nowadays it's almost free, right? Because you have the, the working poor, right? Mm -hmm. for, for this labor to continue. And so every once in a while, um, when there's some kind of an uprising, when, when um, the white community complains about something, they silence them by giving them trinkets. By trinkets, I'm talking about you get to make more money, you get to have a nicer house, you get, you know, and so those are the ways that you're kept silent. Because 
you notice that when, when white people start to talk about race and they start to say, this is wrong, I don't wanna be a part of this, I want things to change and, and so on, they get silenced very quickly. Mm. And the rest of the community ostracizes them. Mm-hmm. And they even have names for it. You know, traditionally they've had names like, you know, you're an end lover or you're this, you know, and, and, and so it's ways of one of the biggest fears that human beings have is, is this disconnection that we call rejection. Right. So, so you have that, which is just sort of natural, but then you also have the threat of losing your job, uh, losing the, your, your place in the community, all of these things. So one of the ways that whites are kept silent around racism is by giving them some privilege. The thing about that though, is that it's a form of manipulation that says that I can buy your silence and at that level, you're not free. Hmm. And until whites understand that they're not free, they're not gonna fight alongside their black and brown brothers and sisters for freedom. Hmm. They think they're free. Yeah. The first thing that happened to, to white people in this part of the world was they were told who they could marry. Mm-hmm. And those were laws in the books. And if you married outside of your so-called race, which we know that you know there's only one human race, right? So if you married outside your color, let's put it for what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could be thrown in jail, you could be murdered, you could, whatever, you know, because you were no longer considered human along with the person you married. Right. So you could both disappear off the planet and nobody would say anything, okay? And mm-hmm. so, you know, when somebody can tell you who you can marry, how is that freedom? Mm-hmm. So there is this illusion of freedom that's based and grounded in denial of the truth, right? And white people buy into that all the time. And so, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the, the quote from Dr. Novus Baldwin, who said, you know, if you've, if you've come because your liberation is tied to mine, then we can work together. Hmm. That is because, powerful. Yeah. Yeah, because white people live in this illusion of freedom and they'll tell you, you know, that we're, we're free. They have more freedom than, but that freedom is conditional, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's based on what you will and will not say, what you will and will not do, what, you know, d- d- just don't rock the boat when it comes to this particular issue. Mm. Yeah. That's really powerful because there is like, there are so many conversations I've had where um, people have said things like, you know, like, how, what do you mean? Like, you're not free. You have, you make more money than I do, or you have these, these opportunities that I don't have, or what about poor, poor white people and, you know, this, that, and the other. And um, it's really an interesting argument. Because the, the idea is, is that, no, I'm still living within this system that, um, you know, for instance, there are certain ways that uh, I will not title my podcasts, or there are certain ways that I won't dress at certain places um, because I'm black. There's certain ways I won't wear my hair. There's a whole thing about like straightening my hair versus wearing it curly. I feel prettier when my hair is straight. Why? 
because for, for eons of my life, like yeah. I've not been long alive that long, but <laughs> it's been told, <laughs> oh, you look prettier with your hair straight, or, um, this is the more acceptable way to, to, to dress. I, I was a photographer for a very long time. And, uh, when I would go to weddings, especially at country clubs or whatever, I live smack in the Midwest. If I wear my hair like this, now this is even a looser curl than it's been in the past. Pregnancy mm -hmm. changes your hair texture, but it was like, Oh, sit her in the back. We don't want her to be seen, you know, like this is where you eat and they treat me very differently. And I'm a very light skinned black person. So I recognize that within my, my own color, that some yeah. of my even family members who are darker skinned will get treated differently than I do. Yeah. So, so watching this all from the perspective of someone who lives it is, is so hard to talk to someone who doesn't get it and, and who, who essentially can't get it. I had a, a, a very long uh, conversation with very close friends of mine during all the, the spatter of this. And some were very interested and open and, and like, you know, like, tell me more. And at the same time, I'm like, I'm exhausted. This triggers me. I don't want to have to like explain this all, but okay. If this is for the good of humanity. Okay. But then there's this other side where people are going, really, is that really how that is? Or, you know, whatever, or you're just kind of milking it now, or, or you're biased because, and it's, it's hard to retain the, the, the feeling of like, especially as a spiritual person, mm -hmm. um, like we're supposed to be all one. We're supposed to be this. If I'm telling you, this is something I'm experiencing and this is causing me trauma. This there's layers. I can't manifest like you manifest because this has never been accessible to my family or my, like down yes. my lineage, you know, thank you for bringing up the manifestation. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let me talk about that a little yes. bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, over the years, and especially when I when I when I first started to awaken, and and I was having these interesting experiences and learning about manifestation and that and that kind of thing, um, I remember that um, you know I, I was usually the only black person in these spiritual communities, mm -hmm. um, which you know they always swore they didn't have a race problem, but you know, I was the only one. And, and the reason I could be there was because I was wired to do this work. So I came in and there was a level of comfort that I've always had with the white community simply because I don't see them as bad or guilty or horrible. I see them as people who have been misinformed. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I just have a different, yeah. you know. And so, um, so I would be in these spiritual communities where everybody was love and light, love and light. And, um, and talking about manifestation when in reality they were just confusing white privilege with manifestation mm. if you have somebody in your family that you can call to say hey can you give me the money to make the down payment in this condo and and they say yes that and they're like why well, manifested a condo no <laughs> they didn't <laughs> manifestation let me tell you about manifestation right manifestation is you get that condo with bad credit <laughs> no money in the bank and it, that's manifestation and i've done stuff like that i've done you stuff know, like do you know what i'm saying no one to ask no one it, to lean on having exactly yeah yeah you, you you have to spin it out of nowhere mm -hmm. you you just have to like literally it you, you literally have to conjure it mm -hmm. yeah that's what i call manifestation the other stuff is just privilege with a different name Mm -hmm. And, and so people get very confused about that. And, and that's one of the first things that I think is important for, for the white spiritual community to understand that a lot of what they call manifestation is actually, is actually privilege working on their behalf mm -hmm. that they can manifest 
the loan in the bank because they're going to talk to another white person in the bank who was going to give them that loan, you know, and then then they wonder, well, what's wrong with you? How come you can't go get that loan? I I got the loan and I didn't have a problem. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I went to the same person you went to and they treated me completely different. Yeah. You know, and so that's to me, that's not manifestation. Manifestation is about conjuring it up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. with without somebody got your back over here in this physical world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Manifestation is when somebody's got your back in the other realm. Yeah. You know, I tried to explain this one time because we were talking about, um, you know, education and education mm-hmm. being incredibly important to the process of being able to, to, to cultivate a lifestyle, having, um, for instance, money, let's talk about money. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no one teach me about money. Like mm-hmm. my parents, not great with money. I am working on it and trying to manifest my ability to learn, mm-hmm. um, and understand more about what are the shortcuts and things like that. Like I'm, I'm just barely baby stepping on that stuff, but mm-hmm. because I don't have that knowledge and I don't have access to that information or I don't have access to people to help me with that. And I have to figure it out myself. There has been a lot of that process that then I've seen my, my other counterparts, um, at, be able to have access to that, know what a 401k is, know how to invest and do day trading, know how to cultivate actual wealth, not mm-hmm. money, wealth. And I was like, I'm in this business of trying to create wealth for my family, like create, you know, not to be month to month on stuff, not to have this or that, but never having the spillover. So like in loads of my clients, whatever, I go to these weddings where their parents paid for their wedding. And I'm like, how does that work? I've never had my parents pay for anything. I started working when I was 14, you know, Mm -hmm. or like watching them go, okay, we're going to buy, like you said, buy this house and then have their parents be able to help them in some way or another. And then how that some, cause we had this debate about it and someone was like, well, I didn't have my parents have that. And I'm like, that's, that's fine. But what we're talking about as a group here is that for most people who are able to own land during times where black people couldn't own land, a lot of that stuff is still passed down. And we don't, we don't have that. Like, I don't even know who my, my, my own ancestors are. Like, I don't know what country I'm from, you know, like from the mix of the people in my bloodlines, we can do ancestry all day, but like, it only gets to a certain spot. I don't have cultures and customs. You don't have cultures and customs. Maybe you do because you're directly from Dominica, but there's nothing to take with me here for me to find my, my core identity in, and then to also lean on that community. We're out here just left out dry, you know? And like some people will look at you and me and go, well, you're educated and you have this Mm -hmm that or whatever and it's like listen like I got student loans up the ass still <laughs> like I had I had I got scholarships based off my education based off how much I could work basically and I know other people have that story yeah. but in this process when people are trying to to get it essentially and we're trying to look at what racism looks like but also what privilege looks like the dynamic between uh anti-racism work and the dynamic between the healing work. Can you show the difference between the two? Because there's loads of people coming out here and saying, we're going to do anti-racism work. We're going to look at ways in which we can even the playing field and let everybody kind of come together here. But isn't there a deeper healing we need to do first? Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely is. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me because uh, after the murder of George Floyd, all these people who, uh, and I'm talking about white, black, brown, who never even mention racism in, in their diversity work in organizations, mm-hmm. suddenly are calling themselves race experts. You right. know? And I laugh because that's an energy field that a lot of people can't traverse for very long mm-hmm. because it destroys your life because you yeah. can't stay in that field 
in, in that frequency, right? Mm -hmm. With this level of knowledge and expect that your life is going to stay the same. So it right. just like, you know, it, like it wipes everything up. Believe me, I know, cause I've been there, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so what happens with, with people when it comes to this, this, um, this thing that, that we call race and we're looking at, um, you know, how do we do this? So we have this thing called anti-racism, which is great work. Anti-racism talks about, for the most part, is centered on the systemic and the institutional part of racism. You know, what's happening, it doesn't go deeply into the history. You know, it's just sort of like, you know, there's civil rights movement and then there's, there's slavery and they link those and, and that kind of thing. Healing takes you deeper into, you know, because you need to understand what's happened to you as a result of, of decisions that other people have made that have affected your life, right? right? Beyond the, um, you know, the institution of slavery and, and the civil rights movement. So you really need to go look at, I call it, you, you got to go live in the house of Pharaoh. <laughs> That's what I call it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you, you can't play Moses and try to liberate your people unless you've lived in the house of Pharaoh, mm. consciously lived in the house of Pharaoh with the, with the awareness that, oh, this is how they do things. This is how they think. This is how they, you know, like you need that and you need to be conscious about that. And then you need to, act, to enact your own wisdom as to, okay, how does this fit into this, right? right. And so anti-racism work is great for giving you uh, some background. Right, but it doesn't, at least the ones that I've attended, and I've been invited to become a, a facilitator for um, one of the biggest anti-racism organizations. And my whole thing was like, no, I really, I, I really wanna stay focused on the healing piece. Mm -hmm. So for healing, we look at the institutional, systemic, what you've internalized, because mm -hmm. that's affected your spirit. It affects the way you think, the way you feel, the way you show up. It affects all of these things in your life, what you've internalized, where you've internalized it, where does racism live in your, physically live in your body, right? And what are the ways that you begin to dissolve it? So, so while they deal with the institutional and systemic, with healing, you have to look at the institutional, systemic, internalized, and then your, the interpersonal, which is how you act, react, and interact with yourself, the people around you, your work, and all of the things that affect us on a regular basis. So when we're talking about healing, healing is about taking what is wrong, what hurts, what is not functioning right, and, and turning it into something that, that really realigns you with the wholeness of who you are. Healing is about mind, body, spirit, and emotions. Healing is about treating the whole being mm. and looking at not just the institutional and the systemic, but how, do, how did that institutional and systemic and how, how does it still affect us today? Mm. And so that's the difference between the two. Healing racism is very holistic. It's about the totality of the human being. Mm, that is so damn eloquent. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, and it's touching. What stake do 
white people have in in needing to do this work? Why is it important? If it doesn't well, bother them, why is this important? Yeah, the so here's the thing. Um, even when things don't bother us at the conscious level because we become so good in the, at denial and at telling ourselves this is not a problem, right? You can tell that it's bothering you if you have a problem talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is basic, right? This is not rocket science. If you can't talk about it and not get upset and riled up and feel defensive and all that, then there's something freaking wrong. <laughs> if this interview is bothering you, that's yeah. a good sign. That's a good sign, you know? And so, you know, so, so there's that. So that's just the, at, at the most basic of levels. So if you get defensive when people are talking about race or you, you, then, then you need healing. Hmm. And, you know, and, and it's not good or bad, right or wrong. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people that one of the things that, that racism tells about all of us, because we, we've all bought into the colorism, and you were talking about that earlier, we bought into, you know, who's good, who's bad, blah, 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 we, because this is where we've been raised. And if you're not conscious, you follow the edict, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that, I, that I think is so important is to understand that we are all really good learners. We have just been badly taught. Mm. And this stuff is about what we've learned, right? And anything that was learned can be unlearned and replaced with something new. And a lot of what we've learned have been myths that have been, you know, perpetuated from generation to generation. And a trauma that has never been healed. It hasn't, you know, the Europeans came to this country, but Nobody gave him a little pink slip and go, mm, you need some, you need to go see a shrink. You know what I mean? Like nobody did that for them. They just, you know, hurt people, hurt people. We know that traumatized people traumatize others. So they just did exactly what was done to them. They went ahead and did it to other people and they've continued to do that, which tells you they're not healed. Hmm. Hmm. And not only that, but you can also tell how, um, how the trauma still continues to affect them by the rage that they Mm. exhibit at an unconscious level Mm -hmm. and how there's this need to destroy black and brown people and to blame black and brown people for their problems whenever there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one of the things that happens all the time is white people will say, well, you know, those black and brown people are taking my jobs because they don't, it, it takes courage to, 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 to see the truth and to look mm-hmm. behind you. Those mm-hmm. black and brown people don't have the power to take any white person's job. Who has the power to take your job are the people who started the, the jobs to begin with, the ones that created the factories, the one that have the resources to take your job overseas. Right. Those are the ones you have a problem with, but you'll take it out on black and brown people because that's easy. You know, that's low hanging mm-hmm. fruit. And you know that if you do that, more than likely you're not going to be punished for it. Right. So, you know, so part of, of what the white community needs to take responsibility for is the violence that they perpetrated throughout the world. Not good or bad, right or wrong. It is what it is. And if you really want to heal, you have to take responsibility for that because it runs in your lineage. Mm. Yeah. 
And very often people think that just because they were the ones that perpetuated the trauma that they haven't been traumatized. Mm. Say that again. The trauma affects not just the victim, but it also affects the perpetrator. And because we know through epigenetics that trauma gets passed on, if you're the perpetrator, you just mess with your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren, up to seven generations at least. Wow, yeah. So there's so much healing that needs to happen up, up the line. Yes. And it's everybody. And that's what I tell people. You don't heal segregation with more segregation. Telling white people to go over there and do their work when they don't know what they're doing is not going to help them. Mm -hmm. This work needs to be done in community. In my work, in my workshops, we have people of all colors, all shapes that come from all over the world that, that come to these programs. They never see race the same way again. Yeah. It needs to be done in community because the harm has been done in segregation. Mm. Wow. I mean, I mean, it hits me in the, in the chest <laughs> mm-hmm. and the way that you, the energy in which you deliver that, I hope you guys that, that really hit home for you, um, because we are all about healing on this show. We are all about, uh, equality and unification so that way we can all have the most elevated and expanded experience here while we're here as humans on this earth. Um, so thank you for the a wholehearted. Thank you for the work that you do, because it does take a strong soul. Uh, to do that kind of work. Like I remember last year when I put out an episode about race, I was so nervous <laughs> and so triggered, like to, like to, to speak about something that I have so much trauma around. And even my family was surprised. They were like, what, you know, you don't ever talk about this. And I'm like, because it, it makes me so nervous. You, you have delivered this in such a calm understanding perspective that I, I hope that you guys who are listening really, really take to heart. Um, so before we go, can you tell people uh, where to find you and also about your book? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, you can find me at milagrosphillips.com. So it's my name.com. Um, and there's all kinds of information there. I have a wonderful two-day program that's coming up. Um, I do it. I do it every once in a while, but I'm going to do it again this year because it's transformative for people. And then it's followed by 15 weeks of going deeper mm-hmm. and, and really going through the, the layers of the healing process. And anyone who has been to my two day or anyone who's read my book can now attend that program. Because the reason I wrote the book is because I wanted to give people as many people as possible this information so that they can begin their own healing journey. And my book is called Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. And um, this is my fourth book. And I, um, you know, you can get that book on Amazon. And it's, it's, powerful the feedback so far and it's only been out for a few weeks uh, but the feedback has been phenomenal about the book so I hope that you will read it yes everybody if you have a chance please go check out her book and check out her stuff and the work that she does Uh, Milagros it was so wonderful to meet you I'm so honored that you were on the show and you guys if you like this episode please share it with someone you love and we will see you in the next one bye hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Aaliyah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening.